I recommend inserting who you are as a human being into your brand, into your Instagram account. So when people find you, yes, they love your website, your portfolio is awesome, your website captures them. But then when they really start to get to know you, that's where they become sold on you. Caitlin James started her photography business from her dorm room in 2008 as an alternative to starting a job search in the midst of a recession. Her initial goals were modest, just hoping to earn enough to live on. She's far exceeded those goals, and today her business makes about $200,000 a month, a significant portion of which is passive income. In today's podcast episode, I'll find out how Caitlin started and grew her photography business. We'll cover everything from what equipment you need and how to attract your first customers to the biggest mistakes she made along the way and how you can avoid them. Let's talk to Caitlin. Caitlin, Caitlin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Let's start with your story. How did you get into the photography industry and when did you make the decision to start your own business? It's a great question. I was in college and I was trying out all these internships and I quickly realized even though I was in the creative world, I did not like having a boss. Creative things don't seem that creative when someone changes everything after you submit them. (laughs) So (laughs) I realized like, man, I've got to find a way to work for myself. And I had a friend who was shooting weddings and invited me to come along and I knew nothing. I look at those images and I'm baffled that she kept inviting me. But that was my invitation to the industry. And I decided I could do this, you know, If I could charge and grow with my prices, I think I could do this. And so that was kind of my entry point into an industry without a single photography class. I I knew absolutely nothing. Wow. That in itself is highly encouraging that you can kind of get started there. So on that startup side of things, what were the initial startup investments that you had when you started and that you might recommend for somebody thinking about getting into the photography industry? The initial startup, it's actually the barrier to entry in the photography world is pretty low. At the time, I was using a $750 camera with some other gear purchases and a website. It was around $2,000 to start the business. And so it was so minimal. You know, when you're just getting started, expectations are a little bit lower. Your prices are lower. And so even now when I meet with people and we have all these students, I tell them like, this is a beautiful industry to enter into if you don't have fifteen dollars to $100,000 lying around. You don't need that to get into this field. What is the road to profitability? I mean, with those low startup costs, it seems like you can probably get there pretty quickly. But like, what do revenues look like in that first year? For us, I should say for me, I was a one woman show back then, but I was in the teens my first year as far as profitability. But that was because I was also purchasing lenses that I didn't have to have, but I knew that I wanted them. And I was a college student that kind of had some help with some of my bills. And so that was the time to spend what I brought in and reinvest. But for a lot of people, I mean, you can see profit within your first six months if you are able to just keep using the gear you have without making constant enhancements and improvements to that part of your business. But it doubled the next three years and then started tripling every year. So, I mean, it's pretty quick because you think it's your time and it's your effort that you're really expending more than, you know, you don't have to have an office. You don't have to have a meeting area with clients. None of that is required to start this. How does that compare to your business today? What are the revenues looking like? And I guess kind of the further question is, what is the structure of your business and what are the profit margins you're seeing now? Well, it is definitely different. (laughs) This business has kind of taken on a second business underneath its umbrella of Caitlin James Photography. So I am a wedding photographer charging ten dollars to $12,000 per wedding. But in 2015, I started educating. 2008, I started educating for free. In 2015, I started basically creating larger products and larger resources and monetizing, you know, this audience of photographers. So we're at the $200,000 a month mark. Now that is not all profit, obviously. It's a business, but a large majority of it is. 
is. And that's because we sell digital products online, which is, you know, the most expensive thing for us are running ads and hiring videographers so that they're professionally done. But the profit margin is still, I mean, it's unbelievable. So very different than starting with a camera in my dorm room. I'm constantly amazed that it has grown to this. So me on the other side of this mic, not somebody in the photography industry, when I think about scaling revenues as a photography business, I'm like, well, there's only so many hours in a day that you can be snapping a camera. So that feels limited. But I guess are these like digital products the best approach to scaling as a photography business? I would say, you know, you have to have a passion for education. If you don't, and there are some great examples in the industry of people that are just in it for the money. You have to love helping people. And if you don't, it's very obvious. So that's something that you have to consider. Another way to scale, it would be to hire an associate team, you know, or become an incredibly boutique niche brand and charge twenty dollars to $30,000 per wedding. So there are multiple ways, but to scale to what we have, it is hard to do that when you are still trading time for money, even if you have a team trading time for money. What sets your company apart from other photography businesses and how is that your competitive advantage? Well, I think early on in college, going back to the you know cost of doing business, I didn't have money to market. So there was no paid advertising, even though that's what the entire industry did back then. So the only way I knew how to market was to market me. So I started blogging every day. I got an Instagram account when Instagram became a thing. And I started sharing who I was as my advantage, using my personal brand as an advantage, not my images. So that's the first thing. And the second thing was I realized I was unintentionally building a tribe. So I was building this group of people that were obsessed, not just with my images, but they wanted to be a KJ bride. They were obsessed with being a KJ bride and they would pay anything. And that grew to, we hosted events for our clients. I mean, we've had 115 past clients with their children in our backyard for pool parties. You know, people travel from out of state to come to things like that. Even though we're not doing that as actively anymore, that is what built the brand that then brought in the photographers that wanted to learn how have you built what you've built. Obviously, you sort of built the business as a wedding photographer. How important is it to have that niche as a photography business? And are there specific niches that you might recommend to somebody starting out? I would say there is a level of expertise and there's a level of, oh, wow, this is her specialty that allowed me to raise my prices very quickly. And so in just like any business, if there's you know a person that's viewed as an expert, you're going to pay more for that expert or you should expect to pay more for that expert. So offering everything under the sun, which I did when I started, it didn't serve me very well. So I quickly found I'm incredibly gifted at you know relationships with people, high stress situations. It made sense for me to be in the wedding world, whereas for some others, they need more like 20 to 30 minute sessions with a family and they can handle children really well. And that's their specialty. So I think it matters greatly. Some people would say, you know, well, for the average photographer, that's not as true. But in my experience, it has served me very well. I've actually gone back to doing family sessions since I've had so many children recently. And that has been a really fun transition. But I know there's no way I'd be at the level I am with the income from weddings if I had done everything under the sun my entire career. Quick note for our listeners that if you've been enjoying what you've been hearing on this podcast, help us grow our audience and keep providing quality, informative business content by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this show. Caitlin, what's the biggest challenge of starting a photography business and how did you overcome that challenge? I would say the biggest challenge depends 
on your personal strengths. I've seen a lot of our students, they struggle with posing and human interaction. That can be very hard for some people. That was not my challenge. My challenge was I had no formal training. And at the time, there was nothing online to learn from, to find the style that I wanted. There were no courses. There were no trainings. There were no webinars. That wasn't a thing. So my biggest hurdle starting was learning the technical side while also learning the business side. And I think for me, my advantage was that I was so good with people and I made them feel confident and very comfortable that that was marketing for me, even though my images were not that amazing to begin with. So someone that struggles with all three areas, technical shooting, understanding light and people skills, they're up against a lot. And so I think for me, because one of those things came naturally to me, it gave me some space and margin to be able to master the technical side. And I did that by incredible amounts of trial and error. You mentioned that the kind of like wealth of internet knowledge that exists now wasn't necessarily there when you were starting out. Um, There wasn't a million and a half YouTube tutorials that you could turn to. Right. But now it almost feels like there's kind of the opposite problem, right? There's so many people that offer information and lessons and how-tos that it can be kind of hard to sort out what might be the best first steps to take to learning some of the skills that you need. So where would you advise that somebody turn and look for those types of opportunities? That's a good question. I do agree with you 100%. I mean, that YouTube is full of videos and it's like, how do you piece everything together to find your exact solution? My recommendation is for people to follow an educator on all the platforms where they create content. And if they are a person that genuinely is in this, I think for the long haul and because they love educating, they're going to be creating new content for their audience because they enjoy helping them. And if you start enjoying that content for free, you're going to quickly discover even things like, do I like this person? voice? Can I listen to them for hours? Do I like the way they teach? Do I think they're in it for the right reasons? And then is this a style that I want to pursue? Because there are so many different styles. And if you're following a light and bright photographer, but you really want a dark and moody style, then maybe you need to look for an educator that has images that are exactly what you're trying to learn and grow in. So a lot of things to look for. But I think in general, there's so much content and people market with content. You need to spend some time in these worlds before you're spending four, five, six hundred $600 on a large scale course. Make sure you love love this educator. In terms of learning as well, there's obviously so much to learn in terms of stylistic things to do with your camera, how to achieve different looks and those types of things. But right. beyond those skills, what other skills do you need to be successful in this industry? Well, you have to be at least somewhat of a business owner. And that is a really, that's a struggle for so many creative people. A lot of creative people were not gifted with creative minds and artistic minds and business minds, which I think that's why our market in our industry is so great is because there's all these creative people and their brains work in one way and spreadsheets, you know, are the death of them. <laughs> they they hate them. They don't understand how to crunch numbers. They don't understand what profit and loss is and they have no background in that. But if you want to be profitable, you have to find a way to be a creative and also at least at the beginning before you can outsource everything, you have to have enough passion for your craft to dive into the parts of your business that seem miserable to you. And I, you know, I was able to find a way to make the miserable parts not so miserable and I thrived in them. And now that my business has scaled and all of that is off my plate, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. Like that seems like a miracle <laughs> that I made it through the business side because I am truly a creative at heart. 
How did you get yourself through the miserable portions? Because I think that a lot of people have this dream of entrepreneurship, whether it's in photography or other creative fields or kind of just in general, where they're like, ah, I'm going to be my own boss and I'm going to be able to do what I want and it's going to be awesome. How did you motivate yourself to push through the stuff that is significantly less awesome about running your own business? Right. You know, this doesn't sound very attractive, but I do think I was motivated by the numbers. And so I have a competitive side to me that I thought, okay, once I hit 24 grand, that was my goal coming out of college, you know, then I quickly wanted to make this a six-figure business. And I think the competitive side of me and the doer side of me, that pushed me through hiring a CPA, doing the bookkeeping until I could hire a CPA, checking off spreadsheets. And I also found people started recognizing that I was growing in business. And I think there was motivation there to have the best workflows, to have the best systems, because I knew eventually maybe I could teach them this. And, you know, now we have a thousand dollar business course that thousands of photographers take and learn so I think maybe I didn't know the trajectory of, you know, a multi-million dollar business down the road, but I think I did have an idea of I could be great at this and there's not a lot of people teaching this. And so if I can figure out amazing systems for myself, I'm going to be able to help people and I might be able to scale this thing. So that's probably what got me out of the pit of like, oh, I hate the side of business. I just want to create beautiful images. I want to step back to that start out thing, knock out a few logistical questions for our listeners who might be considering getting started out. Can you give us kind of a brief overview of what some of those must have first pieces of equipment for a photography business are? Like, do you need more than one camera? What lenses do you absolutely need to have, etc.? That's a great question. I recommend having a camera that it doesn't have to be full frame, but you do need to have the capabilities of completely shooting manually. Having a secondary camera is going to be important, especially as soon as you jump into the wedding world where, you know, if you show up to a family session and your camera craps out on you, it's not the end of the world. You can reschedule three days later if you need to, but a wedding day, there's no forgiveness. And so you do need a second camera if you're going into that world. I recommend a starter prime lens. I think it's a great way to learn about aperture and then having a laptop that is fast enough to run Lightroom and then a Lightroom membership with Adobe to be able to have an editing program. So there are little things like a card reader, an external hard drive, and then there are some more kind of intangible things like a website and liability insurance. But overall, can you shoot a wedding with two lenses? You definitely can. And we recommend our brand new photographers to rent, you know, rent these lenses. Don't spend three grand on something, just rent them, see what you like. Maybe you don't even like weddings. You don't want to buy a macro lens if you're not going to shoot weddings. So those are some of my recommendations. Once you got the gear or a plan to rent some of the gear, how do you get those first customers? That is like the million dollar question. How do you get <laughs> people to pay? For me, my advantage was starting in college. So I started doing headshots for the theater department. And then I, you know, basically did my first wedding for next to nothing. And, you know, what do you do a lot of times when you're leaving college? Well, a lot of these friends are getting married. And so that was my shoe in. But not everyone has that. And I recommend, you know, there are a lot of people who have horrible wedding photos. So if you're trying to become a wedding photographer, the first thing you have to do is start talking about yourself as if you are already in that role and then offering to do shoots and practice with some of your friends that had horrible wedding photos. I mean, especially in your 20s or early 30s, if you have friends that still fit into their wedding attire, the more you practice and produce images, the world doesn't need to know that those were not paid. I did a lot of that. I did a lot of shoots that looked like, wow, she's thriving in business, but I made no money from those shoots. It was just to practice and just to make me look way more legit than I really was. <laughs> 
<laughs> you kind of came into this right at the dawn of the Instagram presence and yes. the importance of that in the world of many businesses. Can you talk about how you went about building that reputation and brand awareness and what you might recommend for somebody who's attempting to do that as a photography business? I mean, there's so many ways to approach this. And the social media world is changing faster than it ever has. So what I would tell someone to do nine months ago, I'd probably suggest some different things. But in general, I recommend inserting who you are as a human being into your brand, into your Instagram account. So when people find you, yes, they love your website, your portfolio is awesome, your website captures them. But then when they really start to get to know you, that's where they become sold on you. And the more that you can allow people to see that you're a human, you're not just a photographer, the more a human connection and trust is formed and trust is the number one leading source to value. And so if you can grow trust, how can we do that in a world that's oversaturated where you have to let people into your life at least a little bit? The days of being a photographer that could just show pretty images and build an amazing business, it's very, very hard to do that. I could do that back in 2008 because there wasn't an overabundance. It wasn't an oversaturation problem. But now that there is, it's even more vital that you market with who you are and not what you can create. How do most of your customers find you today? You know what? That's a great question because we don't do any marketing except that I blog everything that I shoot just like I did back in the day. But I'm only shooting four weddings a year because I have almost four children. I'm 36 weeks pregnant. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And they're all under five. So our life is crazy. And, you know, <laughs> we, we just started a school for our kids, for entrepreneurial kids. And we have way too much demand in other parts. So I'm not shooting that much. The reason we're still finding clients to book four weddings at, you know, ten to $12,000 is because of the community in the tribe that we have been establishing for a decade. And that's the beauty of growing a business that's been marketed well for a decade. I've stopped marketing and I'm still booking. Do you market the educational side of the business as well? Yes. And we do that through free content every week. Our biggest source of referrals and finding new photographers that need help is through YouTube. We started a couple years ago and have grown a channel to 70,000 and continually create content over there. And that has been so cool because that's a different audience than what we had before. Before it was an Instagram audience and that's still there. It's still very present. But YouTube is a great place for us to be able to just continually help people that don't have the money to invest in a course. So it sounds like the majority of the quote unquote advertising spend overall in the business is in content creation Yes, as a lead generator. And I assume that that's because over time you determined that that was giving you the best return on investment. How did you kind of come to that realization or did it happen naturally? Well, I started doing free training and education on my blog back in like 2009, right after I started. I didn't even know what I was doing, but anything I figured out, I would share publicly. And at the time, I actually was ridiculed by old school photographers for sharing knowledge. Like no one does that. That's not how you run a business. And now I'm like, I'm sure they would disagree now that they see what has happened. So I launched my first course, the first time I ever asked people to pay for education, not just get it for free. And I made $170,000 in one weekend. And and I realized, oh my gosh, that's two years of shooting weddings. Like our life's going to change. And I realized the reason our conversion rate was so high was not because of our sales page or the ads we were running. It was because I had spent eight years helping people for free. And that built up a level of trust. And that level of trust has not diminished over the last 14 years. It's only grown because instead of just charging, 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 we are creating just as much as we're charging for free, creating content for free. You've had features in major publications like Brides Magazine. Can you tell us a bit about how those features came about and then how important that kind of feature and publicity can be to the business? 
it used to be a goal, you know, to be in a bridal magazine. And it really was about the title and having the magazines in your office just for fun. But you really start looking at the marketing side. It's really probably better to be featured or interviewed uh, through brides.com and through their Instagram account and less so in like a printed magazine. So I think the landscape has changed in that world quite a bit, but it is a credibility booster to be able to say that you've been published. And I really think there are two different routes for photographers to go when it comes to marketing. You can go down the fine art, luxurious, work with high-end planners route to raise your prices. You can also go down the super personal, I'm building a personal brand route and you're exclusive and you only take on 10 weddings, but you're really expensive. That's the route we went. So while yes, we have been featured in a lot of magazines, there's a whole world of luxury high-end weddings that we never went down that path. But if you are going down that path, then editorial features are a must. So you're not going to get hired by you know the city's top planner if you can't prove that you've shot in an editorial way that's featurable. So I got these features through you know random connections in the industry. At the beginning stages, I submitted a ton and did it myself. Now when I'm featured, it's because a planner did it for me. So it's kind of an evolution. This happens as your business grows and changes depending on what marketing path you want to go down. I'm curious about the required online presence for a photography business. Obviously, I would imagine things like Instagram are kind of must-haves as well, but also the website ultimately. What needs to be on that website? What are some do's and don'ts for a photography website? Well, I think your portfolio is where people are deciding if they can trust you. So it needs to be consistent in your edits and your quality. And I learned this late in my career, but you don't need 300 images in your portfolio. You need around 50. Honestly, some people would say you only need 20 and it needs to be curated well to show your full ability and to show your mastered style. But you need a great portfolio. And in my opinion, you need an about page that says more than just, I love coffee in my camera. Like we need to fully get to know you. We want to know quirks about you. We want to know how did you even get into this? We want to know who Caitlin is, not just that you have a camera. And that builds credibility and trust. And a lot of people get insecure and they won't go down the path of letting the world know them fully. But people who master letting people in with their about page, those are the websites that convert. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These come from our YouTube community. To our listeners out there, you can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Caitlin, we're going to try and do about five questions in about a minute. Okay. Here we go. First up, what do you do with your profits? Well, recently we invested them into a micro school for our children. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) Incredible. If something happens to you, what happens to the business? I think legally my sister gets to carry it on for like three to four years and still make money even if I'm gone. (laughs) I love it. If you could change one thing about your business, what would it be? I would make it more collaborative, less about me so that there was some acquisition potential in the future. But that is a good lesson learned. (laughs) If you were a potential customer, if you were starting out as a photographer, would you come to Caitlin James for learning? I would because of the constant interaction we still have with our customers and our students. Last one here. If aliens were to take over tomorrow, how do you convince them to let you keep running the business? I would hope that they are aliens in need of really great portraits, I guess. (laughs) I'm not really quite sure, but that's probably my first approach. Like, you don't want to get rid of me. I can take great pictures of you. I love it. Those are our fan blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. Go to youtube.com slash upflip and post questions to future podcast guests. Caitlin, I'm curious about what your normal week looks like running your business and what systems or standard operating procedures you might be using to manage your own workflow. 
That's a great question. I will be honest, full transparency, it used to be a lot more stable before I had three kids, five and under, and was pregnant. We never know what's going to hit us each week. I had a lot of sick kids this year. So that means that the most reliable part of my work life and my schedule and the way we run the business is that there's amazing flexibility. So I have a team. I know that I am only responsible for vision and content creation, but everything else has been handed off. My sister is my CEO and has been for years, and she keeps me straight. And we pivot when we need to. So about four hours of work a day is an amazing work day, but we also can survive working an hour on Monday and an hour on Thursday if we have to. So as a mom, that's amazing that I can run a multi-million dollar business and be so flexible. That is both amazing and inspiring to a lot of folks out there. You mentioned that you aren't shooting that many weddings necessarily anymore and that you're maybe doing a lot some more family photography. If someone wants to book you for a job, how far in advance is that happening? And can you talk a bit about the scheduling process from the business side? Sure. You know, it used to be eight months to a year out was pretty appropriate to book a wedding. And now, you know, we are only looking at spring 2024 and we're not quite to spring 2023 yet. So we over a year in advance is pretty normal for a wedding these days. And quite honestly, family portraits you know, I'm only doing a few of those a year as well. I do enough to create content for our membership. And so I kind of need it six to 12 months in advance to know about a family portrait (laughs) session. And that's hard because some people, you know, they're going to have a baby. They don't even know they're going to be pregnant. So I wouldn't say that my availability is what it used to be, but that's also just because of my season of life. I look forward to a new season in the future when I don't have such young kids and I can travel. But we're shooting a wedding in Scotland in about eight weeks and I'm having a baby in four weeks. So (laughs) I still take on some crazy things. I mean, how do you turn down the wedding at Scott? Oh, I know. It's amazing. It seems impossible to try and turn down. Right. Can you then also talk us through maybe what the industry standard look should be for the process from initially booking a job to ultimately final delivery, like what the steps in that process are? Sure. I think your price point determines how involved and how many things you do to surprise and really elevate your experience. But for us at our level, when we book a client, we have a lot of very personal emails that are back and forth about, you know, getting to know them and who they are. And they book online. It's a very easy process. And then we schedule their engagement session. Their engagement session is obviously shot by me. My husband goes with me because it is truly important for them to meet both of us before the wedding day so that we feel like friends walking into the wedding day and not these awkward people they've never met. So that's a required part of our process. And then, you know, you show up for the wedding day, that experience in and of itself, I could do a whole course just on that. But you photograph their day, we deliver our images incredibly fast, like within seven days. And there are still majority of photographers take months to get images back to their clients. So we have a whole course on that. How do we do that delivery? And then we surprise them throughout the whole process, whether it's, you know, four weeks before the wedding, when they're getting stressed, we surprise them with a $100 gift card to a steakhouse. You know, right after their honeymoon, they come home, and they have a huge canvas that was a gift from us from one of their best portraits. They had no idea it's coming. And things like that, surprising clients and being more than they ever expected, it's a general business concept. But when it's your wedding day and you have other vendors that may have stressed you out, it makes us look awesome. (laughs) It makes our clients just fall in love with us. So that's kind of just a blanketed overview. But I would say what makes us memorable and what makes us win at business are all the in-between little things that our clients never expected from us. Yeah, I want to ask about that kind of surprise and delight element that clearly raises the bar of customer service in the photography industry. Can you talk about like how you determined those to be the right moves for your company in terms of like how you do that and any other incremental benefits that those are providing you by treating your customers that way? 
I think, you know, the largest benefit is just that we can keep charging five figures for a wedding. And that is, in our industry, that's a great accomplishment. But what happens is we look at our whole experience and some things cost us, you know, buying them a canvas is going to cost us, a $100 gift card will cost us. But the return of that, you're not going to see the exact ROI, but it's the trust in our clients that comes from those experiences and those surprises that refers them to a bridesmaid, that turns a baby sister into a future KJ bride. And I would say we also try to think strategically. You know, when a bride emails us and says, shoot, I think I need to book another hour of coverage. Well, we keep our hourly rate incredibly high so that when a bride needs just an additional hour of coverage, we gift that to her and surprise her and she's just blown away. And that doesn't really cost us anything. So we try to think strategically about that. How can we wow and win them over? We're just being strategic in the way that we lay out our pricing. So things like that, I think it benefits us to find ways to make our clients say, gosh, they're just so much more than I ever imagined. I do want to talk about your pricing structure. You know, nobody is going to start out in this business and be where you are in the terms of pricing structure. But how do you set those initial prices as a photographer? And how do you kind of know when it is time and your business and portfolio are ready to start raising those prices up? Whenever I have a Zoom call with some of our membership students, they always want to know, what should I charge? And I tell them, guys, I need to sit down with you and ask you 10 different pointed questions to understand your market, your industry, where you are, your experience. I need to see your images, your website presence, your Instagram presence, your client experience. I need to understand all of those things to be able to determine how valuable you seem. So it's a very hard thing to understand. Some people can start charging $2,200 because they've done so much practice and they have such a presence about them that people will pay that. But for me, I started at $750 and some people just shoot for free for two years, which I do not recommend. But I think in general, if you want a way to gauge your growth, we normally tell our students the three E's of pricing are education, equipment, and experience. And as those three things grow, making $300 incremental increases in their prices their first few years, you know, after you shoot three weddings, raise your prices $300 and see what the market can handle. That's normally what we would recommend to somebody. But again, so much goes into the 10 things that I would normally sit down in a coaching session and ask. What kind of pre-screening is important before you as a photographer decide to take a job? Like what kind of information do you need from somebody? How do you kind of determine that, okay, this is actually going to be a good fit? We ask our clients or potential clients very personal questions about explain how he proposed, explain your story. How did you guys meet each other? And how did you find me? And what are you looking forward to? And when we get like one sentence responses to that, but then we get 15 questions about process and procedure, that's a no for me. That is, you know, it's not a a bad thing. They're allowed to ask questions, but we know that's not the voice of our ideal client. Our ideal client writes paragraphs. They tell us everything because they feel like they already know us because they've followed us for so long that now it's their turn for us to get to know them and they care about that. And that email is like a telltale sign. And my team even knows if we don't get a response that sounds like a KJ couple, I don't even get involved in the process. They tell the potential client we're not available for them. Are there any other red flags that somebody should be looking out for when they're just starting out so they don't find themselves on a job that becomes a terrible experience for themselves? 
You know, we have a Facebook group of about 18,000 photographers and constantly every week people are sharing screenshots of some messages and saying, does this seem like a red flag? And almost always they are. (laughs) If you Mm -hmm. feel like you have a red flag situation, you probably do. And a lot of times it looks like an overabundance of questions that should just be the client trusting your creative intuition. If a client sends you, you know, a three page document of saved Pinterest poses, that's not your ideal client. You legally can't even copy people people's photos like that. So that's not a good fit. Or, you know, if you have someone that is quite honestly already telling you what you should be doing and nitpicking other shoots that you've done, we got to find clients that trust you. And that is what creates the most beautiful experience, not just for the photographer, but also for the client. So a lot of our red flags show up in the messaging before a booking happens. What's been your biggest failure as a business owner and how did you recover from it? And what did you learn from the experience? You know, I had a pretty decent tax whoopsie back in my previous years before having a CPA. And I used to tell people it was a $12,000 mistake with some sales tax on products. But, you know, now that I've been in business longer, we recently, in the last few years, we kind of went down this path of designing a custom built site to fix some SEO issues and to create a really cool experience for our clients or our students rather. And we got about a year into this process with this tech company and spent about $65,000 and just realize they don't get this. Like this is not going well. Um, And recently have redone that project with someone different and it costs us seven grand and it's beautiful and it's almost ready to be released. So we realized, you know, we really need to trust our intuition. We knew that was not a good fit, but we trusted a consultant and and went with it anyway. And it it wasn't right. It was a $65,000 loss for us. What about mistakes that you maybe see other photography businesses making and what might you advise that they do instead? I think one of the biggest struggles in the industry, especially for newer photographers, is pricing and taking themselves seriously. It waters down the entire industry when we have photographers who don't recognize their value. And so they're shooting weddings for $500. And then there's photographers that are trying to support a family and they have a hard time charging over three grand because there's so many photographers that will not raise their prices and they're staying in the $500 range and really not making any money, but they're not aware of it because they aren't business savvy. They're not crunching their numbers. And so pricing mistakes hurt everybody. So I see that happening. And then I see a lot of people who struggle for so long with so many issues. And instead of investing a couple hundred dollars in a course that could transform their work, they spend two or three years trial and error trying to fix it themselves. And the normal lifespan of a professional photographer is five years. After five years, if they have not won in business, they're done. And so that's another reason we can continue being educators is because the turnover is so high. And that's not a good thing for the industry. It could be viewed as a good thing as educators, but we hate seeing photographers give up on their dream. And a lot of times that's because they will not invest and let people help them in the journey. How big is the KJ team and how did you find the right employees to to join the team? Well, this is not a traditional answer, but I basically hired my entire family. (laughs) I know a lot of people (laughs) would say, oh my gosh, I would never do that. We've actually had people say, can you make a course on how to work with your family? But, you know, we do have a lot of family members, my mom, my sister, my sister-in-law, and then her best friend, and even my dad now is on the team and my husband. So we have hired family members, but I'm constantly looking for people who have exactly what we need. So we hired a videographer that we've used for over a decade. He's a good friend of ours, Tyler Harrington. And I am looking for people who are just as excited about my growth as I am. 
And Tyler has always been that way. And he's a huge part of our, he is the YouTube channel, basically. My sister is a CEO of the business and her gifts are exactly what I need them to be to run it from the back end. And then we have two girls that manage our support and we have other contracted workers. But my mom is a full-time nanny to her grandchildren and gets paid great money to do so. That's the dream, really. Oh, right it there is. For so many folks. That's so great. It is. What's the biggest challenge you've got now as a business and how are you taking steps to overcome it? To be honest, it is figuring out what's next for me. You know, I have a whole collection of products and I love teaching photography, but I also know that we have succeeded greatly in the digital marketing world. And I recently hosted a mastermind for several seven-figure business owners and high-level thinkers, and I just have loved it. And I don't think that's the future of my entire business, but I have been finding a new balance of being a photography educator, a very part-time photographer, and now pouring into high-level business owners that think like me. And so the greatest challenge is figuring out what does the next decade hold for me and what are the goals? Because we have financially exceeded anything I've ever imagined. So I'm really focusing on creatively. I know if I follow where I feel led creatively, I will not be let down, but it's letting go of things that are still working that probably need to be let go of in order for me to find a new season. That's the greatest challenge. Now, I know you're looking into your own personal crystal ball there, but I'd love for you to look into your crystal ball on the photography industry and kind of talk about maybe what's next on that front. What kind of trends are you seeing now that could lead to a different future? I would say that the industry as a whole just went through a hurricane with COVID. Everyone lost jobs. Everyone wasn't shooting for several years. And so I feel like we're just getting ourselves back. And as an actual photographer, you know, I think those that survive a possible recession and financial hardship, you know, they're going to be in it for the long haul. And I think there's a lot of ways you can recession-proof your business, but that is something coming towards us, coming towards everybody. But I also think as a photography educator, what I see on the horizon is that the photography industry as a whole people are lonely. They feel like they're doing this by themselves. And besides meeting clients for shoots, photography can be a very lonely industry. And so for us as photography educators, we are trying to create what we already have, but with more community connection, with more one-on-one. How can we help people find friends in their area so they can meet up and do shoots together? How can we connect with them one-on-one, you know, online with Zoom calls, coaching calls, threads, We're trying to find a way to get people more connected because ultimately, I think even the human race in general is trying to find a way to reconnect after the pandemic. And so we want to do that within our business. What's your number one piece of advice for someone who's just starting their own photography business? My number one piece of advice would be really, yes, you have to play some of the games of TikTok and Instagram and all the social media, but ultimately, no matter what platform you're on, you have to let people into your life. And if you're not super comfortable with that, then you're going to have to be okay with working extra, extra hard to get noticed and to have people get attached to you. If you let people in and you share your life, you share more than just what your camera creates, you will see growth. And it's going to take time, but you will see growth. Rodney, now to all of the entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs listening to the show, if you could pick the one thing that they take from this interview, what would it be? As I get older as an entrepreneur with more experience, I think my greatest passion is seeing people find what they were created to do and then find a way to make money doing it. And we have never lived in a time where it is easier to take your unique gifting and passion and make money from it. And that's my encouragement to the entrepreneur anywhere is that this is a season where there's, you know, the opportunity is endless. 
And if I can take a photography journey with no professional education or experience ever and turn it into a multi-million dollar business, then think about whatever knowledge or passion you have and what is possible with that. I love telling people our story and seeing them realize like, oh my gosh, this could happen to anyone. What's your favorite business book and why? I love Seth Godin's book, Tribes, because it is the foundation of how this entire business functions. And it is tiny. You could read it in an hour. And it is honestly, my husband read it to me because I'm not the best reader. He read it to me on vacation and I realized, oh my gosh, that's what I'm doing. I have created my own tribe. And uh, because of that, that is really where my education started from, is reading that book and recognizing I could teach this. And so thanks to Seth Godin. He'll never hear this, but thank you to him. Where can people learn more about you and KJ Photography? You can follow us on Instagram and YouTube. That's where you'll get new content consistently. And then through those venues, we are constantly giving ways to connect through our email community and CaitlinJames.com. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. To our listeners, you can find more advice on starting a business the right way on the Upflip hub or check the listings on our website to find a business that's already up and running and ready to start making revenue. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review and a rating wherever you're listening to the show. Caitlin James of Caitlin James Photography. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. 